Sten Morgan here. I hope you're doing well. I want to announce that we are launching the How to Be an Elite Advisor course. We are combining all of our best teachings and ideas into a course that you can complete in less than a week. I want to share with you the best ideas that I implement within my practice that have helped me achieve more than I ever thought possible. I want to share how I have unique meetings with clients. What's the mindset of an elite advisor? How do you prospect in a way that'll separate you from other advisors? At the Elite Advisor Network, we reject average. I want to help you see what your full potential is and reach it faster. Set time aside this week to take the course. Click on the link or go visit gobeelite.com. I'll talk to you soon. Steve, welcome to the podcast, man. Appreciate you taking time. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I know you do a lot of these. Um, and I know there's a lot of things we can cover with your background and experience. Uh, for our listeners, I'd love for them to get some of them maybe heard of you, but get a kind of a brief background, your journey in the business. Uh, were you somebody like I always knew I wanted to be a financial advisor? Or did you stumble into it kind of like I did? And then I want to get as practical as we can with all the experience you've had, all the big wins you've had. What can we give our listeners that they can start using tomorrow to make them better? Uh, I'll spare you the long version, give you the super short version. I ended up interning for a guy who became a mentor of mine uh, when I was in college, uh, I think after my freshman year, who was uh, one of the top producers at Lake Mason and kind of right. fell in love with the financial services industry. And that was the, the genesis of all of this. And it's just been an evolution from there. Was the inter- so the internship I got into was the only one that was paying me. What got you into that internship? Well, first of all, I didn't get paid. Okay. <laughs> it was, um, I called up my, uh, this guy I had met um, through my, my girlfriend. Her, her father was his doubles partner, and I asked for a summer internship. He said, we don't hire uh, kids who haven't graduated college, and we don't hire summer interns, but you can come work for me for free if you want. And I said, when do I start? Uh, and it really was, I just wanted to learn a different skill. I thought I wanted to be a doctor and decided I didn't. And so I knew nothing about money and it was, it was great education. I love that story. I, I've found at times it's easy for advisors to have, and this is excuses we all make for ourselves. It's like, oh, that advisor's so successful. He must've come from money, inherited a book. And I, as a young advisor, I had some of those thoughts until I started meeting more advisors and realizing there's a lot of self-starters that did not have this kind of golden paved road of what they were going to do, but they had the tenacity to figure it out as they went. More often than not, the top advisors I talk to, that's the story versus, oh, I, family business, I stepped into it and it, it all went great. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how old you are, too, because I'm, I'm 57. And so there weren't a lot of advisors when I started. So there wasn't a career path. And there's nothing in high school like, hey, I want to be a financial advisor. Uh, so take these classes. Um, so I would expect that most of them would be self-starters. And most of the brokers were, which is, you know, what was the predecessor to our industry. Uh, they were self they were salesmen. So they all had to be self-starters. Yeah, salesmen that turned into business owners because you had to be. Exactly. Yeah. So what was the the first season of your career where you were just a full-on financial advisor? I know now we'll talk about some of the other ventures you've done since then, which is probably you were uh, afforded those opportunities to start companies because you did something really well for some period of time. What that first season of becoming you know a top-in-the-country financial advisor, how, how many years was that before you were able to kind of pick your head up and say, I actually have like an entrepreneur thing in me that I want to look at as well? 
So I never, I mean, other than that kind of internship and working at Leg Mace, I never really worked for anyone. I always worked for myself. Uh, so that probably started at 21, uh, 22. And then 1994 was when I really kind of started my first RIA. I was, you know, had a few years under my belt running. We didn't know it was called a family office then, but a family office for, for one wealthy client. Um, and he said to me, this is, this is great. I bet I could sell this to all my friends. Like we should start a business. And so he and I went in 50, 50 and started the business. And ultimately I bought him out and uh, took the business from there. But that was, that was when it all started. Nice. So what was your early years when it was like, there's no advisor path. How did you become a financial advisor? Did you just study a lot? Did you say, I'm going to go out there and just trial and error and and get as many reps as I can? Because at one point, I don't know if it's the client I'm thinking of that you had, you had to be fairly impressive to get to a point to where you know you would even have that opportunity. What did you do to develop? Uh, it was a confluence of events, but really mentors. Uh, so that same mentor uh, who I, after I had worked for him as an intern and I went out on my own, I was introducing clients that I thought would be uh, the benefit from his advice to him. So we quickly became friends, went from you know, him being my mentor, we were doing our business together. He, when I got this opportunity to run money for this one family, he's like, you got to read this uh, book called uh, Managing Managers. And it was really on the idea of outsourcing this uh, solution of how to manage money, not trying to do everything yourself, like, you know, the traditional brokers had. Uh, and then um, the hedge fund industry had, you know, started to grow. So there was some of that model. And I knew some of those folks. But another mentor, a guy named Bob Levy, who now is the chairman of the Cato Institute, Bob has started a financial services company, and he and I used to hang out all the time, run together. And uh, he told me, this is how the institutions manage their money with asset allocation models, and it's all math. And you know, here's a database to select managers. So all I started doing was copying what the institutions did, making it available to individuals, and it was not difficult to raised the bar significantly. So it was, it made it easy to get new business. Nice. So what would you, as you look back, should an advisor just try to call advisors and ask for mentors or what does it look like? If, if somebody's listening, they're like, I don't have a mentor. I don't know where to find a mentor. I know for a lot of my young career, I was like, I just was hoping for this like door to open this light to shine and this like amazing advisor to walk through it to kind of like guide me. No, I never got that. So I had to kind of pick it up randomly here and there. What would your advice be to advisors that are like, I'd love that. I just don't know where to start. Well, mentors don't pick mentee. I mean, maybe occasionally they'll find someone that they're fond of and and, uh, want to help them out. But, uh, you know, to me, I had to search out the mentors and ask them for help. And you have to do it in a way that you're not annoying, where you're not constantly asking questions you're thoughtful about the time of theirs that you take. Um, And obviously you have to have a good relationship with them. You know, they have to like you, otherwise it's a big investment in time. Um, And so I was inquisitive, thoughtful, fortunately I was able to add value along the way by doing things. I mean, I said, I work for free. Um, You know, that, that made it almost his obligation to spend time with me. Uh, In fact, when I started, they gave me scut work all day. Like I was just doing filing and stuff and about, week or two into it so i'm happy to do this for half a day but i'm going to learn the other half of the day uh, since i'm working for free and they quickly made that change Uh, so 
But you were money. You were adding value. Like you were, you were working for free, but they were like, this guy's not just consuming. Like you were bringing something to the table. Well, at first I brought nothing to the table because I knew nothing. I knew no. Um, But once I kind of understood the differences, I was able to say, oh, you know, this, I know somebody else that might benefit from this and let me introduce them. So I started bird dogging a little bit, not for the sake of selling just to sell, but I actually believed they were doing a better job than other people. And, you know, as I'm bringing in business, clearly that helped uh, strengthen the relationship, but we're still extremely close. And, you know, it's many, many years later. That's great, man. We um, interact with a lot of advisors, you know, right into the business to me. I'm a 30 year vet. Isolation is a really common thing. And it feels like a lot of us are trying to say the, solve the same problems, but we're just in our own bubble. I think advisor communities are great. Uh, we are all a function of the five people or so that we spend our time with. And so when I hear you talk about mentors and even the tenacity, of like I'm going to seek people out, not be annoying, not just consume, try to add value when I can. I think if I was talking to an advisor, show me why to be advised. It was in college. Like if you could step onto a team and just absorb and learn. And even if it is kind of a grunt position for a year or two, I know I look back, I made very little money, but I was just absorbing. And then when I started legacy, I was so far ahead of everybody else just because I saw so many reps so yeah. fast. No, I, that- I agree. It's you, you got to get in there, see, learn, read a lot. You got to be curious. I mean, uh, and want to improve your knowledge set so that you're just not someone else bringing the same ideas to you know clients. So they're 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 worn out from being pitched by the people in the financial services industry. So how are you going to be different? Yeah. Yeah, we talk a lot about average versus elite and the average advisor, which I'll make up a number, but it feels like 90% of advisors are all saying the same thing and and they're hoping to bump into somebody at the right time when they don't have another option and they know they have to do something like roll over money or buy insurance, but you're not creating urgency. You're not showing them what, why they should do it right then with you. You're just, you're just hoping that pure activity will eventually pay off. You think it's as low as 90%? Nice. <laughs> so I'm, I'm being generous. Yeah. yeah. 95%. I don't know. But it's amazing that I guess at some point of the, the ladder, and we won't go too far down this rabbit hole, it's working for somebody. Companies are still making money, even if there's this churn of talent. But I mean, me and you live on the the, the, the advisor level. And so we see the the devastation or the frustration occurring in a high turnover, you know, average result world. Um and as I've looked up a lot of your stuff, you've been saying for a long time, there's a better way. And so for you, which has also led into like some tech stuff, which I'd love to hear more about. And, and for our listeners too, because tech can make our practices so much better, quicker, more value in a more efficient way. You were a successful advisor, but what does that look like for you as you started picking your head up even more and saying, there's a better way to do it. And here's what that is. And then here are some solutions you've created. I mean, I think you have to be in a constant state of evolution. So when I started, as I said, the the typical broker, the guy I work for would say, all right, well, Stan, how old are you? You're 40. Okay, well, we're going to put 40% in U.S. bonds and I'll manage those and 60% in U.S. stocks and I'll manage those. And that was the entree. So it was easy to be different by saying, oh, we're going to add in international. And I, I can't tell you how many clients I talk to about why international made sense. Like who invests in international? That's too risky. Um, So, you know, it's, 
that was one part of the evolution, having performance reporting, then focusing on taxes and you know, then doing financial planning. So I think always trying to stay ahead of the curve because, you know, somebody who has sudden wealth, they sold their business and they're going to interview a whole bunch of people or there's a bunch of people who are going to pitch them on why they should use them. As you said, they all are saying the same things. So how are you going to be different uh, and always stay ahead of the curve? Our industry really didn't exist 25 years ago, you know, when I started. And now it's a big part of the financial services industry. Um but in terms of mediocrity, I, this statistic's a little old, but I bet it hasn't changed much. Eight um, percent of U.S. GDP is financial services. Thirty to forty percent of U.S. GDP profits is financial services. It is the great train robbery. Like there are a whole bunch of numbnuts out there moving money from a lot of people to very few people, and usually it's the advisor. And so there is a way to do a better job serving clients and to stand out from the crowd. And that's what we always try to do. Wow. Yeah. I think, um, our listeners may have just been, uh, as you listen, you may be feeling something based on what he just said, because there is a system in place that we're all participating in that there may be discrepancy from income received and value added my hope is is that, that that a lot of us are not intentionally doing that but i think when if audited if all of us had to have steve come into our practice and sit down and then look at what we're charging what we're adding how comfortable would we be in that meeting yeah and unfortunately most advisors detract value uh and again it's a huge swath so i'm not painting everybody with the same brush but i think if you want to be in that group that's adding value well here, here's one of the hardest questions active versus passive. I mean, it's almost a religious debate. Uh, the data says it's really hard to add value in beta, particularly after fees and taxes, but everybody persists to sell active management because it's a good, sexy story. And you can, you know, numb the client into submission by throwing out a bunch of numbers. And as my dad used to say, I'll pay extra for the advisor not to show up uh, because it's just painful, but passive works great. Like you don't have to be a hero. Yeah. Uh, and most advisors agree, you know, in the quiet of the back of the room, when we talk about it, but say, I, well, I've been selling this active for so long. I can't, I can't change religions now. And the answer wow. is you can. Yeah. So you gotta, you gotta figure out what you believe in and sell, or I should say administer what you believe in. And that's how you do a good job for client that value. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I think any change is always hard. Um, there'll be a point of, you know, optimism and then you hit a trough of like, wow, why am I doing this? This is hard. I should go back to what I was doing, but we got, you got to push through that. And I know for me, part of my story was I was, you know, Northwestern mutual out of college. Mm -hmm. Guess what they taught me? Um, you know, life insurance was a solution to everything. And I'm talking to a bunch of my 20 year old buddies. I was like, I can't afford this. They don't need it. Love life insurance. If used appropriately, like great industry, it's necessary. But I, based on my experience, kind of jumped ship and said, no, the sexy part of our business is money management. And I'm like, let's do it. This is where it's at. This is where it's at. And then I'm sitting there learning, like, I don't know if I want to share these commission load stuff for these people. And so I'm like having this crisis of conscience as a young advisor, like, well, who am I? And my breakthrough was when I finally realized, wait, I'm allowed to charge a fee for what I'm doing. Like the, the, the hidden commissions and products are not the only way I can get paid. And that sent me down the road of saying, what if I created such a valuable 
practice and deliverable that people are willing to write a check and pay me for it, which is the most transparent it can be. And then they're happy to keep doing it apart from the products. And that's where for us and a lot of, a lot of our platform is how do we teach advisors to understand and communicate their value that the products are not the only thing they have to offer. What has been your experience in like the financial planning fee for advice realm? And, and how do you see that playing out now? Well, I've been a huge advocate for fixed fees for a long time um, and moved off of the AUM model probably 15 years ago. Mm. Um, and so we have a fee calculator where I put in someone's net worth. A lot of what we do is estate planning. Uh, so I don't care how much money we manage. Uh, if any, a third of our clients, we probably don't manage a penny for. Um, but based on the services they need, based on the complexity, based on the size of their assets and the value we can deliver, it kicks out a fee and that's their fee. And there's a 3% annual escalator for inflation, which might be low in this environment. Um, <laughs> but it, um, it really changed. The game. It was hard to do at first because how, how do you articulate it? And I quote my fees in dollars and my fees are high. Like my minimum fee is 100000 and it runs up to call it a million. So I'm telling someone it's going to cost you $500,000 a year. So very quickly, you have to be able to demonstrate, well, here are the places I'm going to add value. And by the way, this is why we're the best deal in town. And I'm going to move $30 million out of your state, save you $12 million taxes on day one. I'm charging you 500 grand. Like that's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. Uh, and so I think charging a very transparent fixed fee is really the way that our industry should operate. Because if you get paid on AUM, what are you going to focus on? How do I get more assets under management? Okay. Everything else. Exactly. So I'm a big fan of, uh, of fees, fixed fees. So no AUM fees. What would you guys have insurance revenue within your, practice? No. So you're all, all, all transparent upfront fees. For that. I work, I get paid by you, the client. That's it. Um, I'll help with your insurance. We'll analyze your insurance. We'll negotiate everything. It, it's funny because I was dealing with, um, we're doing a construction project and I was dealing with uh, our builder the other day and I got a, a storage fee with a 15% markup on it. I said, aren't you just sending the storage fee invoice to me? And they said, yeah, but we mark up everything that we do here. And I said, I'm paying you a fee to do the job. Mm -hmm. Every discount you get should be passed on to me. And that's how we operate our business. So if I get a manager, which we do, to reduce their fees, the client gets the benefit. Once I have negotiated that fee with you, yep. all conflicts end. I work for you and my job as a fiduciary is to make sure that you, the client, are getting the absolute best service, best fees, most transparency uh, possible so that you feel great about this relationship. Yeah, I love that. The It does require a different skill set. and I, We would even call it a superpower to sit with a client and convey enough value for them to see a, a dollar figure, not percentages, not kind of fees built into products that they never know how you get paid. I don't know how many advisors have that skill set right now to, 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 and I don't think it's taught anywhere I was ever to say, Hey, it's the product. Don't push the product, find it, try to sell it. It's like, you have to come in and create like an experience and almost be a master communicator. So when they leave any kind of trust gap where you're saying, Hey, you know, 
Steve's a great guy. He's nice. He says he's going to help us, but we don't know, even know what that looks like to where it sounds like they're leaving your office being like, we know how much it costs and how much he's going to save us. That's a much easier decision. It, it, exactly. Um, I, I'd say it just comes down to understanding where you add value and being able to communicate it and not being afraid. I mean, fees are quoted in AUM because it's easier for people to not see them and hide them, if you will. Um, but if you understand where you're at value and you can communicate it, it shouldn't be a problem. Yeah. Tell, tell me about it, vanilla. Let's unpack that a little bit and kind of the thought behind that and how it's progressed and how advisors could look at using that tomorrow. So yeah, I'd argue that the, I mean, it was where I started making a big difference was on tax and estate planning. And I say, I'd argue it's the next frontier because most advisors avoid estate planning. And it isn't just for the ultra affluent because, you know, that tends to be my clientele. I actually argue it's probably even more important for somebody who doesn't have a lot of money because anything that's lost to taxes or put in the wrong trust or they're not insured or they don't have the right documents in place and haven't taken care of their children, um, that's even more important. So I think it's our job as an advisor to make sure we cover the foundational components of our relationship. And in that is, okay, Stan, uh, do you have a family? Do you, do you have money? Do you have people you love about? You, I mean, that you love? Great. Let's make sure. Do you have the right documents in place? Do you have the right amount of coverage to make sure there's liquidity for people who need it in case you're leaving a spouse and, and or a child behind? Um, so to me, those are foundational. Then it starts moving up into, all right, do we really understand your liquidity? Do we understand what kind of assets you hold? And that's all the core stuff that we do as advisors. And when you get into taxable estates, which are becoming more and more plentiful, yep. particularly as the exemption comes down, it's really understanding the landscape of what they have and how to move the pieces around so that you can help reduce taxes. No, every, I haven't met too many people that are excited about paying extra taxes. Um, it's easy once you understand this to reduce that tax burden and leave more for charity or your family. So, vanilla so tool, so vanilla. sorry, go ahead. No, you're good. Yeah. I find with clients, it's something where it's like, I think it's okay. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand the problem that's there. And so first we have to let them know here, here's the size of the problem. Cause I believe people solve big problems, not small problems. If I sat with Steve and I was like, Hey Steve, I could save you $500. Give me five hours of your time. You'd be like, I got to go to my kid's soccer game. Like you just lost me. But if we can find a big one and illustrate it and show them the cost of inaction. So what is the tool help? So if somebody goes to vanilla, and they say, I want this tool. What for their practice? What is it going to add? What is it going to streamline? As you dream that up, what's what's the outcome? So it depends on the client type. And if I work backwards from what we wanted to create, the first thing was understanding what we needed to know about their client to serve their needs. How much wealth do they have? What's their family look like? What what identify the problem that we're solving? So that information goes into the, the software. If they have existing documents, you can analyze the documents. If they don't have existing documents or their documents aren't very good, you can create new documents inside the system and it auto diagrams all that. So instead of getting a stale piece of paper with a Visio or PowerPoint diagram, you get a really great looking dynamic diagram that you can click through and say, all right, who are the beneficiaries? Who are the trustees? What are the, uh, the dispositive provisions? Do I have enough life insurance? Is it held in a trust or not held in a trust? Um, 
And then the system should prompt you to make sure that you're checking in both as the advisor and the client um, to ensure that you've got the right people in the right positions. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I asked someone about their documents. Like, I don't know. I haven't looked at these things in years. I did them when I lived in Texas. I live in Florida now. Um, and, oh, I don't even talk to that person anymore. I can't believe there's still the trustee in there or guardian for my kids. So it's there to kind of start organizing, illustrating, and identifying ways to add value. And then once you get up into the larger estates, it's there to focus on how to uh, move assets around, identify where they end up going. So you have a waterfall of who gets what and when, um, so you can make intelligent decisions. I've found with some other tools I've used, that there's, there's a lot of tools out there that'll just give you data in a format that you can't just put in front of a client. Like you have to sit there and interpret it. I, I think there's a growing need as, as I interact with thousands of advisors for uniform, simple deliverables. It's it's a gift to simplify. Like we can all complicate and like freak people out, but like to put something in front of somebody like, oh, that makes sense. And then asking them to make a decision. It, it really just feels like part of our responsibility or our job to bridge that gap versus, hey, data overwhelm. You know, you need to do something don't know anybody else to do it with so you might as well do it with me that that's been my experience most of the business and i hope obviously with tools like vanilla holistic plan it's like concise deliver the data and if you ask somebody to take action then i I think you're you're doing them a huge service yeah i mean the dashboard let's say for a taxable state or even for a non-taxable state if it's a non-taxable state you get to page one of the report and I, i like to use the dynamic version online but let's just talk about the pdf um, it'll tell you, you need more insurance or your documents have these issues and you should get new documents. And we made it real simple to do that. Or if it's a taxable state, big, bright red number, here's what your current tax liability is. And here's what it's projected to be in the future. So you just hit them right between the eyes with, here's your big problem. I've got a big solution for your big problem, but we've identified your big problem. And that's, look, you came out of selling life insurance. It's, it's easy, hopefully, to identify the problem. How much do you spend a year? $100,000. Okay, you need 33 times that amount of money uh, in savings or insurance in order to protect your family if you die. How much do you have in savings? Well, I got 500000 Well, $3.3 million is more than 500000 You have an insurance gap. Mm-hmm. You need insurance. I identify a big problem. I give you a simple solution for it. And that's what we're trying to do with the software is make advisors look better by proactively identifying ways that they can help their client and then make it really, really simple so that they don't have to become estate planning experts. They just identify the big problem and show up with a pretty simple solution. Yeah. As for everyone listening, the there are certain areas I've found are clients are most susceptible to working with other advisors. If another advisor comes in and points out a tax issue or an estate planning issue that you haven't brought up, your your friendship with them only goes so far. Like there is a point of adding enough value that your family member is going to go work with a different advisor potentially. And I feel like a lot of advisors, we rely so heavily on a relationship to keep clients versus value. And so if you're looking at your book of business and you're like, man, I feel like my process is stale. Sten keeps saying average and I feel like I may fall in that bucket. Something like a vanilla, you could implement immediately and do a campaign across your clients proactively for them to at least feel like, oh, wow, this wasn't the stale once a year meeting or reaction to a question I have. They brought this to me. 
Yeah. I mean, the most meaningful conversations I have with clients are not about their portfolios because the truth is those things can be on autopilot, particularly mm-hmm. if you're overcomplicated. Um, talking about their family, their air. I mean, it's, it's just intimate. Who do yeah. you love? What's your relationship with money? What's your health? Um, what things are important to you for raising your children? Um, those are the meaningful relationships that build that professional friendship, if you will, that professional relationship, um, boring them with details about, you know, why you outperformed or underperformed or volatility or whatever. Capital markets are capital markets. You know, stocks will be bonds. Bonds will be cash long term. Uh, I don't want to talk about it that much. Let's talk about the important things. Yeah, that's good. Good emotional intelligence. Awesome, man. Steve, I appreciate you, bud. I think a few big takeaways in my notes is mentorship. If if you're listening and you feel like you're on an island uh, or you don't know what to do next, or you're kind of stuck in this average realm that the industry kind of tries to pull us all into, let's all do the same thing and hope for a different result. Find a mentor uh, and then find technology. I mean, we we live in a great space to where top tier advisors who have done it are now reflecting and saying, what do I wish I would have had? And they're building it. And you did that. And so go check Vanilla out. Uh, and Steve, we'll definitely have you back on, man. I appreciate you. Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on board.